Okay, I'm going to just share uh, this morning from uh, what God had me share on on the post, and and it was uh, basically a question that, and I'll read where God began to give me His thoughts uh, this morning. So this is in Matthew uh, chapter 16 and verse 13, and we're going to see it uh, through. Uh, 17. So Matthew 16, verse 13, it says this, Then Jesus came unto the coast of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, now he's asking those that he has taught, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say, You are John the Baptist. Some say, Elijah, or Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said unto them, but who do you say that I am? And that's a question that God would always give us the answer for, but that would be what he would bring us, uh, bring our attention to this morning. Who do you say that I am? You've heard a lot of You may hear a lot of people and what they think and what they say about God or even not about him. And if it's not about him, it's about self. But then he would say to us, and he would would waken us up this morning to say, really, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, You're blessed. Blessed are you, Simon, son of John. Blessed are you. For flesh, really, and really it should be the opposite. For blood and flesh, nothing about fallen humanity has ever revealed that unto you. But my Father, which is in heaven, and so the question that God had me look at this morning, and I am so I was so blessed by it, because again, you know, you have your night seasons, and sometimes you have dreams, sometimes you don't, sometimes it's thoughts, all these thoughts and projections and all these things. And I had the privilege to wake up like that, you know. I mean, not that that wasn't the privilege, but the privilege was where I sat, and then God just opened His Word up again, and it was so incredible for me personally. And so God asked me this question this morning. He said, how do I define myself? How does God define himself? And you know how he does that? By himself. (laughs) That's how he does it. He defines himself by himself. And then God had me write this, just the last thing after I wrote down a bunch of things, a bunch of thoughts from his word that he was giving me with with, uh, many scriptures. The last thing I wrote down was this, and he said, write this down. God is, that's that, God is. He's He's the God of eternity. He is the eternal God. God is. That's what God is means. So when you read the Bible, God is. 
He who had no beginning will never have an end. He is in create. He's never been created. He's always been. He's the creator. God is for us. <laughs> Those are two things. God who is, is for us. In the definition of his son, Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And so then would be the question is, and that's what he was, that's what, that's what Jesus was asking and trying to get his disciples to, and that's what he gets us to constantly is, really, who you say I am. Who do you say I am? We've seen it before in Exodus 3. We can see in Exodus, the third chapter, when, when Christ appeared in, in the burning bush and in Exodus chapter 3, and you can read it 1 through 14, and then he turned aside to see it. And God is always there. He manifests himself. He's there. We just need to turn aside to see him. And of course, when we see him in the definition of who he is, we see ourselves in him because he's for us. <laughs> I mean, the God that's always been, God is, is for us. And he can't be anything other than who he is. And God is for us which is an incredible thing. Thank God for that, and I do this morning. So Moses, when, when God appeared to him, after he was done, <laughs> he was done with God because his first 40 years, God was blessing, really blessing the socks off of him. And he didn't deserve any of it, just like us. But God was blessing him because it was based upon God is was for us and who was for Moses his first 40 years and then of course like we can do we can run ahead of God without his definition of who he is and we lose the definition of who we are and we act in self and when that happened of course you saw what he did he acted in the flesh and he killed someone thought he was defending someone and killed someone then he was on the backside of the desert for 40 years he was basically done. Did you ever say that? I'm done. You know, God, listen, and nothing, listen, how about, nothing makes any sense. All these thoughts. I don't know, does any thought of ours outside of Christ make a lick of sense? No, I mean, honestly. And with our thoughts, this is what we do, honestly. Outside of the definition of God is for us, we either go back or we go forward and we miss him presently. And there's where we don't have contentment. Because there is no contentment and there is no rest outside of who God is for us. Right where we are. Nothing has to change for us to realize that. Because it's not a person, a place, a thing that defines us. It is God is for us. And so when God, when Moses finally was at the end of himself, he quit on himself. Right? Did you ever quit on yourself? I can't tell you how many times I have. I don't know. How are you going to quit on yourself when God, who is, is for you and doesn't quit? <laughs> he doesn't quit. He didn't quit on Moses. No, but he was waiting in Isaiah 30, verse 18, to be gracious. So... Finally, Mo Moses in himself is at the point of helplessness and hopelessness. That's our thoughts. Out, that's what we come to, the end of our thoughts. 
outside of Christ, who is the definition of God who is for us, that's where we get helpless and hopeless. We're helpless. And so God had to bring Moses to the place of helplessness and hopelessness in himself. He's done. That's when God appeared to him. That's when he appeared to him and said, okay. First he said this, how should we approach God? How should we approach him? And we can see this definition in, in Joshua chapter 5 and verse 15, but we see it in Exodus 3 and verse 5. Take your shoes off. Even before you approach me, before we come to hear the word, even before you approach me, you have to take your shoes off. Anything that was made, anything of yourself, you, you, and that's how we approach him, really. We're, we're naked and open to the eyes of him with who we have to do. It's part of Hebrews chapter 4, and verse 12 and 13, and so forth. And so he approaches, and then God said to him, I'm going to raise you up. Who? Who would do that? Okay, when was God going to raise him up? When would God do anything in him? Did he first have to have a definition of God? Did God have to define himself to him? Yeah, he said, the ground where you're standing is holy. I mean, it's holy. And so God raises him, is, is raising him up, and everything that God is doing is based upon God who is <laughs> for him. And the first thing he asks is this, and this is what we do, who am I? We've said this before, who am I? <laughs> What's it all about? We will lose the definition of who we are in our own thinking outside of him. And there's where discontentment, and there's where all the plans that we think we need to make. For him, and we think we're doing it for others, but the reality is we're using others. If it's not him, in the personal definition of who he is in us, we make them that. And then we need them. We need fellowship. Can't do it without a, a, a personal definition of who you are in Christ, because God is who? For you. Can you separate God is for you? We're going to see that's what happened. That's the name. And this is the name. So Moses, the first thing he asks, God tells him he's going to do something. God says, I'm going to do this. First thing he says is, who am I? What is, what is he saying? Who am I? How am I going to do this? Huh? Our own thinking. How am I going to do this? Oh, jeez. I got to stop playing. I got to do this. How, how am I going to do this? Huh? God said, listen, this is what I'm going to do. The first thing he asked, and this is the two questions we always have, is who am I? He starts looking at himself. Apart from God is for him. And the second thing that he asked, and this is what we ask, is who are you? And you know what the answer to both is, is Exodus 3 and 11 to 14, is I am with you, that's who you are. God is for you. Oh, doesn't matter where you are, God is for you. God, the God that is, is for you. And in Christ, is there any separation from that? There isn't. There is none. 
And that's how God defines himself. So how would the God who is define himself to us little dusty, poor little dust people? How would he do that? Well, his son had to put on humanity. That's right. That's why Christ said the son came out, not leaving the bosom, but still coming out in a manifestation John 1, verses 1 and 2, and then he put on humanity. He tabernacled himself in that that we're tabernacled in. God, who would do that? So when I looked at these scriptures, I'm, it's so phenomenal. But see, when we look at the word of God, what do we see all through the Bible? Here's Job chapter 28. And I'm going to read 1 through 7. Surely there is a vein for the silver. Really, the Hebrew says there's a mine, right? There's a mine. There is a mine, a vein for the silver, and a place for gold where they find it. Iron is taken out of the earth, and brass is molten out of the stone. You wouldn't believe what these things are saying when we understand them, okay? Because we know that silver always speaks of what? Redemption. Where's our redemption located in 1 Corinthians 1.30? It's in Christ. And where is God the Father manifesting himself? The God who is for us in Christ. Is anything else define me? Is it any other person, place, or thing that defines me? So it makes him, he's just irreplaceable. And then the gold, we know gold speaks of the deity. Huh? the deity of Christ. That's why we say in heaven, it's going to be all gold in heaven. In heaven. You don't see silver ever mentioned in heaven because we're with him. We've already been redeemed and we're in eternity. And iron, iron always speaks, if you see in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, be you steadfast, How are we going to be steadfast, immovable? I don't know. With our thoughts or the God who is? (laughs) Who's God's full thought? It's Christ. Eh? Be steadfast. Where? When? How? Be steadfast and immovable. Always. No, I got to stop now. (laughs) Really? Always abounding in the work that God is working in you and through you, based upon Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. So, again, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor, your, your hunger, your, your going after him, is what? It's never in vain. It's never in an empty place. So that's what iron speaks of. It speaks of God making you strong in discipleship, leading you through because of the silver of Christ in you, bringing you to a place face-to-face with Christ. Iron is taken out of the earth. And brass, and brass, when we see brass, it says in Revelations 1 and verse 14, his eyes were as a flame of fire and his feet were like brass in a furnace. That means all judgment Christ took and his feet are like brass, no judgment. That means every step we take. In him, God who is for us. There's no condemnation. It's past in Romans 8.1. 1. 
Okay, and brass is taken out of the stone. You know what the stone is? It's our own thinking. That's right. We don't function in who God is in us and who we are in him. And realize he's, in some area, somehow, he's not for us. And when we think that way, what comes in? Is it love or fear? Fear. You know what fear makes us do? It makes us start motivating and forming a plan based upon our thoughts or even the thoughts of others. That's why no one replaces Christ in us as individuals. Okay, so out of the stone, he takes this. He takes, there's no condemnation in us. We may be hard, and our thoughts may be hard about ourselves and God. That's not how God sees us. Job 36, verse 7, he never removes his eye from the righteous. Verse 3, he sets an end to darkness. Trying to figure things out. <laughs> Trying to figure things out in the future and miss them presently. And what does it become? Dark. Just becomes dark. He sets an end to darkness. Has God, through Christ, the God who is for us, has he set an end to any darkness and any confusion that we might have in Christ? Is there any confusion in Christ? Is there any definition in God that involves, in himself, that involves confusion? Nope. God is not the author of confusion. Okay? And you can't think two things at the same time and not be confused. And you can't think that you're in two places and not be confused. Because if you do, you know what comes in? It's confusion. And God is not the author of confusion, but of what? Life. You, do we have that right now? Is Christ our life in Colossians 3, 4? And peace. Is he our peace in Ephesians 2, verse 14? He sets an end to darkness and searches out all perfection. Who does that? Can I do that? You know, when we say perfection here, remember in Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, it says what? His work is what? Perfect. It's complete. That's right. It's complete. In Psalm 18, verse, verse 30, his plan, his plan is what? About us. It's perfect. What does that mean? It's complete. Are we complete in Christ? Is, God, is that God's plan? Are we complete right now, right where we are? Do we need anything other than him added to us right now, right where we are right now? No. And if he's not, you know what we're going to do. We're going to start making what? Plans. But you know, Jeremiah 29, verse 11, God said, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. They're thoughts of what? Peace. Who is our peace? How does God manifest the definition of who he is towards us? It's in Christ who is our peace. Right? And you will keep him. Watch this. You will keep him in what? Complete peace. Whose mind is what? Stayed upon who? Him. Why? For he what? Trust in him. You trust in your own thoughts? You trust in someone else's thoughts for you? Because if you do, it's not a very good thing for any of us. He sets an end to darkness and searches out all perfection. The stones of darkness. Those are the areas of hardness where light hasn't penetrated us. We haven't been submitted to him. Stones of darkness and the shadow of what? Death. Death for the believer is what? Only a what? It's a shadow. And what's a shadow? Is there any substance in it? None. Yea, though I walk through the valley of what? The shadow of death. What? 
you are with me, and as a result, and that's Psalm 23, verses 4 and 5, with, with you what? I will fear what? What do I fear? Is there any fear in God who is for me? Is there any fear in that? Not an ounce. Verse 4, the flood breaks out from the inhabitant, even the waters forgotten of the foot. Oh boy, we forget who we are in our walk, don't we? We lose the peace. You know why? Because in Ephesians 6, 15, our feet personally are not shod experientially with the peace that I have in Christ. So something must change. But you know, in Proverbs 24 and verse 21, meddle not with them that are given to change. Don't let anyone direct you. Okay? No one's thoughts are to direct you. And again, even if they desire you and love you, okay? Seriously, for any of us, right? The flood breaks out from the inhabitant. Even the waters, and what are those waters? Forgetfulness of God. Forget that he is and he's for you. They are dried up. They are gone away from men. From who? Those who forget God. That's the easiest thing to do, isn't it? You know, when we forget God, what do we turn to instantly? What we think are our thoughts. And where do they come from? Verse 5, as for the earth, out of it comes bread. So faithful. Constantly feeding us the bread. Right in Exodus, the 16th chapter, while they're on their way through the wilderness, he's raining down bread. The type is fulfilled in John, the 6th chapter, verses 30 all the way to 57. We see that very clearly. We see in 327, can a man receive anything, listen to this, except to come from heaven? Now, John 330, he must increase. How does God increase in us? Through the definition of who he is in his son. Who is his son? The word the plan, the everything, right? He must increase, but I must what? Decrease my thoughts. Taking someone else's thoughts and making them mine. Taking someone else's desire, even supposedly for me, and making it mine. As for the earth, out of it comes bread, and under it is turned up, as it were, fire. You know what's in the center of the earth, right? It's fire. Many believe that that's where hell is located. And I'll leave it at that. Many do. Isaiah 14, verse 9 says, Hell beneath is moved to greet you. Well, how would I say that? Well, if I look at the, these scriptures, and we have to give a scripture for everything we even might remotely think that we can come up with a preponderance of that, right? So if I read in Philippians, the second chapter, if I read this, I read verse this, verse 10, it says this, that at the name of Jesus, the expressed manifest nature, think about that, the expressed manifest nature of Jesus, every knee should bow. How should we approach him? Oh my God, listen, how should we approach each other? with Christ in the vessel. Should there be honor in Ephesians 5.21? We reverence one another. We reverence Christ and honor one another. Okay, We reverence God and we honor him who's in us in Colossians 1.27. That at the name of Jesus, every knee sh should what? Bow. Of things in heaven, listen, things in earth and things under the earth. Oh boy. 
Verse 6, Job 28. The stones of it are the place of sapphires. And it has dust of gold. And this goes all the things that we are in Christ. And you see, and we'll see it manifested at the Bema seat in 1 Corinthians 3, 13 to 15. And anything else that was of the wood, hay, and stubble is, is gone. And he's showing us how it was already gone, but he's manifesting it so beautifully to us. So that we, and we just go right away into the full definition of who we are. And in his light, there's no darkness. There's no confusion. There's no lack of peace. There's none. There is a path. This is 28.7. There is a path which no fowl knows. Fowl here is, is the type of the prince and power of the air, those demons in the atmosphere, where no fowl knows it. God, because if they, if they could have, in 1 Corinthians 2, 8, 9, they never would have crucified Christ. Never. But they didn't know it. But you know who did? God. And you know who knows us in him? You know, God knows us in the definition of who he is manifested in the son of his love for us. Nothing has to change for us to experience that. We just have to submit our will and be content with such things as we have. That's right. Uh, Hebrews 13, 5. Be content with such things if you have. Why? Because he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Right? And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, is he not? In Hebrews 13, verse 8. There's a path which no fowl knows and which the vulture's eye has not seen. What do vultures feed on? Something that's what? Dead. Death. That's right. But we're already dead, aren't we? Are we dead in him? Yeah, Colossians 3.3, you died. So as we go along here, what do we see? What do we see? Well, let's see. Let's look at the Bible so we can all have it, right? In Psalm 139, look at what it says in verse 17. How precious also are your thoughts unto me. Oh God, how great is the sum of them. What's that saying? It's, I'll tell you what it's saying. That God's thoughts, listen, and his ways and his plan towards us in Christ are without limit. You cannot limit God and how much he loves you and me. Right where we are. Right where we are. Exactly where we are. They're without limit. And when we understand that, you know, we enter into Psalm 71, verse 15. What's that? My mouth will show forth your righteousness and your salvation. For I don't even know the number of, of who you are defined through your son for me and me. I, I, I will never come to the end of it. That's why it says in Ephesians 3, verse 19, to know the love of Christ that passes what? Knowledge. You'll never come to the end of it. And where does that start? Right where we are. Right now. Right now. And nothing has to change. You will see Psalm 139, verse 17, expressed again in Job 9, verse 10. Isaiah 55, verse 8. Listen, you know what he says? My thoughts are what? Are what? Yeah. Neither my ways, what? 
My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. As the heavens are above the earth. Is that our position? So are my ways above your ways. And my word will perform. Who's the word? Who's the way? Who's the plant? My word will go to where it will, and it will perform what I said it would. That's Isaiah 55, 8 through 11. You will see it again in Ezekiel chapter 12 and verse 25. This is God's word for his people. This is God's word for our right now, our now, right? That's God's word for us right now. And he wants us to show forth what we have, okay? That's exactly what we have. You know what? Again, again, how does God define himself? He defines himself by himself, (laughs) That's right. How do we define ourselves? God defines himself in the place where he's resting. And where's God resting? Where is he resting? Do we have, okay, let me ask everyone, do you have rest right now? Do you have peace? Because that's where God is. He's resting in the son of his love. And he's placed us there. He transliterated us out of the kingdom of darkness. That's thought life. That's Colossians 1.13. And transliterated us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Everything about him is loving us. That doesn't change. And when I function in his love, I don't need change. What I need is to be loved. And again... That's how he defines himself. You know what faith is? We've said it before. Faith is absolute dependence upon God. Listen to me. It has nothing to do with emotions or my thoughts. Not a single thing. Listen, folks. We don't define ourselves by good emotions or bad emotions. You hear something, you can get thrilled by it, and then you can make that your own and forget God in a heartbeat. And start making plans. Faith, faith dependence on Christ, his word, always finds its place of blessing with God, because that's where God is in his son resting, and what? And proves him, listen, superior to all forms. When I don't have peace, when I don't experience it, you know what I'm going to do? Through my emotions, I am going to form a God, yet deny the power thereof. Second Timothy 3, 5. They have a form of God based upon their own thinking. Read Psalm 10, verse 4. Psalm 50, verse 21. It says, you thought I was altogether like yourself, like your own thinking, your own plans. You thought that was me. No. Mm-mm. He said, but I'm going to come and set it in what? Order. Who's God's order? Where is he resting? Where is his place? Where is God Almighty's place of rest towards you and I? It's in his son. Where are we located? We're located in his son. That's exactly where we are. So, what is it? My faith dependence on him will prove, what it will prove? That he is superior, that he is sovereign above everything. I am so content. Boy, oh boy. Godliness, being like God with contentment is what? Great gain. If you don't know the great gain that you have in your experience, you're going to need someone or something else to make, to make up for the loss of the gain that's in your experience, but not in your position and not in my position. That's 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. Being like God, 
through Christ, <laughs> is what? Instant contentment. Instant contentment. I don't care what the circumstance, situation is, doesn't matter. Okay? It does not matter. I don't know about you, I thank God for the place that I am right now. And I'm extremely content. Nothing has to change. Not a single thing. No. Because where is God resting? In us. In his son in us. Okay? Wants us to look away from the vessel. You know, when we get, when our eyes come off the treasure that Christ is in us individually, in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, I start looking to other vessels. That's right. And I'm looking for them to replace the treasure that's in me. And think that I'm missing something. You know, fellowship with Christ is for the individual. No one can replace him. And he's, listen, he's not going to allow it. He's jealous over what his son has accomplished on his behalf and him giving his son for us. And he's not going to allow anything to replace it. Because outside of love, there's what? Fear. And fear has what? Torment. Galatians, torture. Torture. And what do Christians do? Christians, those that are in Christ, they get away from it. They're going to change something. Seriously. They think they have to get around the right people. Let me tell you something right now. Right here, you're around the right people. You know how I know that? Because who called everybody here? Who did that? Right? That's right. We have a great cloud of witnesses that are living right now. Did you know that? We all have a testimony of Christ in us. Is that enough? Is he enough in me? And are those that are with me right now enough? I don't even understand the, 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 the term miss. I miss them. I, I don't understand that, to be honest with you. I love and desire, but the missing thing is like, it doesn't even make any, it doesn't make any sense in that way. It just doesn't. You can love them and have desire, and I do. But here's the thing. I know that God loves me in, in some measure, don't we? In some measure, we know that he loves us. But how do we know that we love him? That's obedience. If I am not content, what would be the source of the discontentment? Am I living in something that's other than Christ, some thought, and is it sin? If I know to do good in James 4, 17, and I don't do it, what is it? It's sin. Is God good in me? Is Christ good in me right now? I need something to change. Do I? Oh boy, the countenances. Oh boy, the countenances. You read Isaiah 3, 8, and 9. And by the way, the countenance doesn't do nothing for me. Let me tell you right now. Jeremiah 1, 8, don't be afraid of their faces. And let me tell you straight right now, I ain't afraid. Love. Yep. Afraid? Pfft. Nope. Their countenance, the countenance, the witness that's coming forth out of them is placed on their countenance, called nonverbal communication. It testifies what? Against them. Is God against them? No. Are they against themselves? Yeah. Are they, do they oppose themselves? Yeah. 2 Timothy 2.25. You don't oppose. No one oppose. Listen, we don't oppose each other. And we don't even oppose God. How could we? God is for us in Romans 8.31, Psalm 56, verse 9. God is for us. 
Well, who's against us? Who's the only one that can be against us in all reality? The flesh in us. And the flesh demands a change. The flesh demands something to happen other than what is in Christ in the vessel. Listen, obedience is the proof that I have received his love for me. That is huge. That I have received him and not rejected him. Is he present right now? Is he the source of all of who you are? Are you receiving that or are you rejecting him? Do you need something other than him right now? If you do, do you even think you have what it's needed to go forward? You don't have it. I don't have it. But every single thing about us is in him, not in ourselves. It just isn't. And even when I fail, and when I sin as a man in Christ, as a woman in Christ, positionally, I am in his presence. His presence towards me, even when I do sin, is what? Is there any guilt as far as he is looking at us? No. Is there any in us? And does he not want that there? That's why he washes our feet in John the 13th chapter and those first 11 verses. But there's no guilt. When when he gets me in his presence, when he has me, even when I feel, when he has me, what do you mean? You mean when I'm dirty, you know, and I'm double-minded and I'm to be in his presence? Well, James 4.8 says, draw near to God. I can't tell you how many times I've done this. Oh, boy. You know what I hear? And I'm not going to tell you my thoughts outside of him. They wouldn't do a thing for you because they never did a thing for me, ever. Draw near to God. Result, he'll draw near to you. Receive him. No, right now, no. No, I'm confused. Why? Here I am. Receive me. Don't reject me. Draw near to God. Result, he'll draw near to you. What's that mean? He will not violate your will. He loves you, but he's waiting to be gracious in Isaiah 30, 18. Draw near to God, James 4, 8. Result, he'll draw near to you. And only in that way you can cleanse your hands. You sinners. My own thoughts, my own plans, my own understanding, and the wisdom I think I have, which I don't. And the strength I think I have, which I have none. And we're weak, yes. But when we don't function in his presence, what do we function in? Sin. Draw near to God, result, he'll draw near to you. You you cleanse your hands, you sinners, and you purify your hearts, you what? Double-minded. I need something other than Christ right now. And I'm occupied with it. And until it happens, I won't have peace. I don't know, is he at peace? Or are we trying to make peace? Has peace already been made? Has it? It's been already made. It has. Okay? That's what we find. We find ourselves not with guilt when we get in his presence and when we function outside of it through sin. When he gets us in his presence, there's no guilt. Listen to that. No, I'd rather be guilty. (laughs) I'm not going to receive you. I'm not worthy. Yeah, all your worth is in him. Not about you. It's not about me. No guilt in his presence. But I'll tell you what we do find. Helplessness and hopelessness. And that's when he comes in and fills our experience again with the reality of our position, where God himself is positioned and immovable. Immovable. 
Don't define yourself by your finances, by your location, by what others tell you. Do not do that. Don't. And I know well-intentioned people, I know deeply that love me, but based the plans they think about God and what he has for us is based upon a location and is based upon finances and everything else. Finances don't determine us. They don't define us. They don't. Read Matthew 6, 19 to 34. They don't define us. And don't let anyone else define who you are outside of Christ based upon where you are, your finances and your job and all this other stuff. Don't do it. And I'm not saying certain things can happen. They can happen in a right way apart from God's order. I'm going to tell you that straight right now. Because he's told me, he has to straighten me. When I say I want to tell you straight, I want to tell you something right now. He's going to straighten this thing out and I thank God for it every single morning. And all throughout the day, he puts a check. Ah, not my son. Oh, <laughs> ah, more than a conqueror, Romans 8, 37. A sinner. Do you know what happens when we look within and we don't find him in our experience? You know what we find? All is darkness. It's just dark. Well, some got to change. And sometimes we need to know this. The fruit of the Spirit, the first fruit in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is what? The first thing is what? And who is love? God is love, and where is God the Father located? In Christ. And Jesus said in John 10, verse 30, I and the Father are, and are we one in him, in John 17, 11, 21 and 22, and will he ever leave us or forsake us? Hebrews 13.5, absolutely wrong. Never, it's a triple salutation. No, I won't. You listen to me. No, I won't. I won't leave you helpless. But you may appear, when I'm not your support and your strength, you may look at things and appear that, that you need to do something. Mm-hmm. God has us here, let me tell you something, because he's doing great things in us through the greatness of who he is in his son and who I am, who you and I are in him. When you look within, all is darkness, but you look out to him, what is it? It's all light. I'm lit up now. It can change in an instant. In a millisecond. In a millisecond. So again here, what do we see? This is what we see. I thank God we can use the scriptures and we can only use them as the Holy Spirit who is our guide and takes the things of Christ all throughout the Bible. This is Psalm 45. This is Psalm 45. And, and I'll read from these uh, scriptures here some thoughts that God has for us. Okay? Psalm 45, verse 6 says, My heart, which is my mind, right, is what? Is contemplating a good matter. Is there any goodness outside of Christ? Any goodness outside of God. So should I think outside of him? His word, his way, his plan. I speak of the things that I have made touching the king. We can touch the king because he touched us through Christ. Touching the king, my tongue is the pen of someone who's so willing to not only show what he's given me, but to use me as a pen to show others. Of course, this is Christ first and foremost. 
but this is us functioning in him. And you can see that in 2 Corinthians, the third chapter, and you read those first six verses. You are fairer, listen to me now, listen. You are fairer than the children of men. I love those that are, that are yours, and I love being one, but no one's fairer than you and who you are in me. Nobody. I'm not making anyone more important than who you are in me right now. That's what it's saying. You're fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword upon your thigh, almost mighty, with your glory and your majesty. This is still Christ, but this is who we are in him. We don't have any glory in ourselves. And in your majesty, ride, ride prosperously because of what? Truth and meekness and and righteousness. We have that in him. And your right hand will teach, the terrible, King James, will teach wonderful things. Because Christ is seated there in Psalm 110, verse 1. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. I love the shield of faith in Ephesians 6.16. Above all, it says, above all, taking the shield of faith. That is the teachings about the person and the work of Christ accomplished to his Father and for us. We take all that teaching, and when the thought projections, the lies, the imaginations come in, you know what they do? And we'll, we'll get into it, and I do want to do a booklet about it as God leads. It bounces. If it doesn't stick and, and it won't penetrate, some of them bounce, and they go right back to the enemy. Look. <laughs> right back. Though your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemy, and the people fall under you, and thank God we can fall on him. Because underneath us, when we think the bottom is over, you know, the place, the finances, uh-oh, listen to this one, the weather. You're like, God defines us by weather. That defines our happiness. <laughs> How foolish. I can be just as miserable in any type of weather if Christ isn't my all. Okay? Right? But your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a right scepter, holding sway over us, reigning and ruling over us. Right? You love righteousness and hate iniquity. Listen to this. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your fellows. And that means he does it personally because he considers you in his son above everything because his son is in you and he's resting in him. (laughs) Oh, God. And we're going to wrap it up here. This is Psalm 100 in type again. This is in type. He's teaching this to Israel, but in type for us who we are in Christ in Ephesians, the first chapter, in those 23 verses. Psalm 133 in verse 1 says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. What happens if one is not content? Are they manifesting a unit? In other words, are they united to Christ individually? If they're not, can they dwell together? No. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Who's who's the source of all our unity? Made us one. No wonder it says in Colossians 2.2, Sumbi Badzo, we are knit together in love. Listen, 
and I do mean this, when I'm in his presence, okay, and everything else about me is gone, I'm in his presence, instantly in his presence I think of others. And what they're going through does have an effect on me. But I know where to put it. Boy, when I don't, then I'm going to try and make something happen about it. That's right. It's the truth. It is like the precious ointment upon the head. Who's the head? Where did God the Father pour all his precious ointment? Upon the head. And what's my thinking? Who's my head? Upon the head. And ran down the beard, even Aaron's beard. It went down to the skirts of the garment, garments as the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. There, there, for there the Lord commanded the blessing. Where is all our blessing located? In Christ. Where are we located? That's the book of Ephesians, some 86 times in him. We're in him. We are in him. Okay? We're in him. That's where Lord commands a blessing. Even what? Life forevermore. Okay, and what we need to see here is we begin to wrap this up because I only have 10 minutes still. So we can fasten our seatbelts and that means keep us in a place of receiving, which I believe, by the grace of God, we're all doing by his grace and, and truth. What this, is, what these, this psalm here is re- revealing is this oil of gladness, this joy that we have is above. Listen to me. We can't reach it. It must come down. Will God allow that joy to come down when we're in the flesh? No, he won't. Won't do it. But it must come down. Again, that's John 3.27 in type. Can a man receive anything except it come from heaven? He had to come down. We can't go up. Everything about us is up in our position. Because if it's not, where are we going? We're going down fast based upon our own thoughts. They're helpless. They're hopeless. We get what? We get disappointed because we're looking to others and when we don't think we can be with them, we're disappointed. Now, Christ is not enough presently. Then I look into myself when I can't have them and I become what? Discouraged. Because what do I see there outside of Christ? Everything's dark. It just doesn't make any sense. God, your plan doesn't make any sense. Yes, it does. It's Christ and it's fulfilled. It is. And we're fulfilled in him when we trust him. That oil must come down. Must come down. And you know what it says when it, when, it, when it must come down? It's, the Hebrew means it dwells evenly together. Do you know what that's? We're all even in Christ. Did you know that? Isn't that awesome? We have different places and functions in a local assembly. But we're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus in Galatians 3, verse 26. We don't all have the same position in Galatians 3, verse 28. No. In terms of functioning in a local assembly, but we all have the treasure in us. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, that he in us desires to manifest not to us individually, but through us as a gift and as a joint that supplies in Ephesians 4 and verse 16. Remember, the one thing I said, there was one verse and one portion I, I, that God had me to, to reveal on Sunday morning, and that was this. God Christ has given us gifts. He gave gifts unto men in Ephesians 4, verse 8. The men are the gifts themselves that do have specific gifts. 
Did you know every one of us has at least one specific gift? Did you know that? You have treasure in you, but we, and some have more. But the issue is Christ. And he didn't give men as gifts to replace himself. My God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory by who? Christ Jesus. Right? That's Philippians 4.19. And when I realize that in my experience, you know what I say? I say I can't. I don't say I can't. I can't do it here. It's too much. Yeah? Philippians 4.13. Yes, I can do all things. What? Through Christ. Which makes me what? Like dynamite, powerful, mighty, explosive, dunamis. <laughs> so we get our English word, dynamite. That thing seems impossible, yeah? Whoa. Red Sea? What's that to him? Impassable mountain ranges on both sides? The fiercest army on them? Rest. Go to sleep. And by the rest in me, and by the time you wake up, you look, there's a path right through all the difficulties. Because I'm with you. I'm in you. I'm with you. I've gone before you. I'm ahead of you. I'm in you and I'm with you. And I'll never leave you nor forsake you right where you are. Nothing has to change. And so because of that, we don't hide in a man or his gift. God never gave a man, any man, a gift to exalt himself in the flesh. And that's what sometimes we can make it when it's not Christ. Yes, they're necessary but only as they're attached to Christ. And all, is, all it is is that Christ flows out. It's not the manifestation of the gift. It's the manifestation of Christ in and through the gift. That's the issue. That's the need being fulfilled. And so we don't hide in a man's gift because then we exalt him above Christ. And that's a no-no for any of us. Okay? That is a big, humongous, no, no, no. Don't do it. Now, and the reason why, I'm going to tell you this, and even in, again in Job, and I'm going to show you where, why I teach through the Bible, why I teach. In other words, why the Holy Spirit has taught me through the Word over a process of time with amazing patience and long-suffering and grace towards me. Just incredible. That pastor is not a title. And boy, do men love those. Title. Pastor so-and-so. It's not a title. It is a gift. The man is not the title. Ephesians 4, 8, it's saying he gave gifts unto men. It's the men themselves. They're the title of God? Well, no. It's a function. It's a gift that functions only submitted to the head so that it's not the gift showing off. It's, it's Christ through the gift manifesting himself. God, what did I... Have to, and God had to teach me certain things about that. Here's Job chapter 32, and this is why I'm going to tell you this is the truth. This is Job chapter 32, verses 21 and 22. And you and I can make men idols, by the way, even the gifted men. We can. This is Job 32, 21 and 22. Let me not, I beseech you, accept any man's person. God is no respecter of persons. Look it up. could give you... A ton of scriptures, because God gave them to me. (laughs) 
Uh, pray you, accept any man's person, neither let me give flattering titles unto men. Isn't that interesting? Because I'll make more of the title, but really it's not the title, it's the man that's manifesting it. The pastor becomes everything. This individual becomes everything, and I have to have him, and I have to be where he is, or else I'm losing and I'm missing something. Verse 22, for I know not to give flattering titles. Why? Because in doing so, my maker, who's our maker, God through Christ, would soon, the King James says, take me away. You know what the Hebrew says? I would soon be taken away from my true master. I make him my master. I make the man with a gift the master, not Christ. Now, they're necessary, and they're, and they're true. But in no place do I have to prove my gift at all. It's just Christ through me. Period. Okay? Period. That's just the way it is. Because, again, this is this. And how I relate to God in my own individuality. Okay? That's how I relate. If I don't relate in Christ in me as my all, as my master... What do I do? The sense of right and wrong in man begins not only to be connected with me, but others in relationship. I'm not complete unless I have. Excuse me. Oh, boy. Again. Why? Because intrinsically, in my flesh, outside of Christ, do I know right and wrong? Do I? Do I, no, do I know what I need, when I need, and how I need it? But right and wrong being understood in the relationship apart from Christ is God supreme. Is he my all? Is he sovereign? No. God must be to each individual through Christ supreme in each of our minds. He must hold that place and not another. If you don't believe that one, read Job the 19th chapter, 25, 26, and 27. Read those and that'll help us like it's helped me, okay? Because God has to hold that supreme place in our mind. That's why we need to be submissive. We need to be subject to God and Him alone. And then in that place, we become recipients of who we are in Christ. That's why submission, when I'm truly submitted to Him, when I submit to Him, who is my life, is there any confusion there? Is there? No. What is there? There's just communion and fellowship. When do we not? When is that not available? When is God not available for us instantly? And even when we do sin, what do we do? In James four eight, we draw near to Him, with dirty feet, with double minds. Well, you know, you know, you're here, here, here and uh, nothing makes any sense. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's nonsense. Don't trust yourself. And this is it. We're going to stop with here, even though we're doing a little scratch here still. Don't trust yourself outside of his presence. Because if you do, you will make someone else or something else to be your matter, to be the thing that you need the most and that I need the most. In Jesus' name, we thank you and praise you, Lord. Amen.